We're going to be in John chapter 4 as uh, we are, are continuing our I Believe series for uh, about five more Sundays, and that, uh, or six more Sundays, and that's counting today. We're looking at uh, the seven signs or miracles that uh, John records in his book. And uh, he's recorded these, these signs. And uh, like I said a couple weeks ago, there's, there's more than seven miracles. Uh, we don't know. Well, uh, the New Testament records uh, 36 miracles that Jesus performed in the New Testament. But uh, John chooses, chooses to show us or share with us seven of those miracles or signs. And it's through these uh, miracles that John is wanting to show us who Jesus is and that we are to believe in him. So two weeks ago, we looked at uh, Jesus' first uh, miracle that he performed in Cana of Galilee um, at a wedding uh, celebration. He turned uh, water into wine. And uh, I talk about that from both a, a devotional perspective as well as a theological uh, perspective. The devotional perspective was uh, when the wine tends to run out in our lives. Wine symbolizes joy. And uh, there's all kinds of things in life that bring us joy. But uh, most of those things are only temporary. And when you look at the word wine in the Bible, the wine it symbolizes joy. And when Jesus turned water into uh, wine, uh, Jesus is the, the eternal, the real joy maker. And when the wine that we like to fabricate in our lives that we think brings us joy, when that wine runs dry like it did at the wedding ceremony... Jesus wants to create a joy in our life that's going to last for all eternity. And Jesus has the ability to do that when we trust him, when we are in a relationship with him, when he is the priority of our life. And so we looked at that miracle from a devotional perspective, but we also looked at it from a theological perspective. Uh, John is sharing with us that Jesus is the true bridegroom and that uh, his resources will never run dry. And there is another story that uh, John describes in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 19, where Jesus describes the church as the bride of Christ and he is our bridegroom. And that, at that wedding reception, uh, the uh, wedding supper of the Lamb, Jesus' resources, Jesus' provisions, Jesus as our bridegroom, those resources are never going to run dry. They are going to be there for all eternity. And so we looked at the, those two things in uh, John chapter 2 two Sundays ago. And so this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 4, where we read about the second sign. And uh, as we go through John chapter 4, um, key idea of not just this series, but this chapter is believe. 
believe in the words of Jesus. That's what we see in chapter 4. And uh, on the heels of this second sign, Jesus has been in Samaria. And we're... Uh, most of us are very familiar with uh, the, the woman at the well in uh, John chapter 4. And that the fact that she was a Samaritan and Jesus knew everything about her life. And, and when uh, Jesus revealed these things to her, she realized who he was. He, uh, she ran back into the, her, her town and told everyone else about the person that she met. And so the town came out to meet this individual who had this conversation with Jesus. And in verses 39 through 42 of John chapter 4, let me just read that uh, for us this morning. It says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them two more days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Not just the Savior of Jews, not the Savior of the Samaritans. No, he's the Savior of the world. This is the Messiah. And you know what? When Jesus was in uh, Samaria, the Bible doesn't say he performed one miracle. He just merely talked to them about who he was from the Scriptures. And they believed And so Jesus is on a high. You know, he didn't have to entertain anybody. You know, these people believed who who he said he was. But uh, after two days, he says, now it's time for me to go to Galilee. Okay, and Galilee, Cana, it's going to be a different reception for me. So let's look at verses 43 through 45. So after two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Jesus is going back to his hometown. And he's not well received there. People are very familiar with Jesus. You know, they've watched Jesus grow up from a little boy. And... uh You've heard that phrase, familiarity breeds um, contempt, hard-heartedness. Um, that was what was in this community, okay? They knew Jesus. They loved Jesus. But Jesus being God, Jesus being Messiah, whoa, that's, that's, that's something else. And, uh, and so he wasn't well-received. A prophet is without honor in his hometown. But then verse 45, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem and at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. 
After Jesus had turned water into wine, the Bible says that Jesus went down to Jerusalem. And Jesus did some amazing things down in Jerusalem. We don't know what those miracles are in in the book of John, but uh, people heard and saw what Jesus did, and so they were impressed. And those who were from Galilee that were in Jerusalem, when they went back to, to their hometown, you know, they told, they told their family and friends what Jesus had done down in, in Jerusalem. And now here, Jesus is coming back to Galilee. And it's kind of like a, huh, verse? Because it says, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Welcomed him? I thought you said, Jesus, that you weren't going to be well-received. Yes, they welcomed him, but they welcomed him, him in a way that was selfish. They were looking forward to Jesus doing more of the things that, they had, that he had done down in Jerusalem. They were wanting to be entertained. They weren't really concerned or... Uh, passionate about the things that he had to say, uh, they wanted Jesus to do some more miracles. And so that's what Jesus is referring to, and, and that's what Jesus is coming into as we look at this morning's text, verses 46 through 53. So let's, uh, let's continue on through the rest of the chapter. So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water, wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So when he asked them the hour when he began to get better, they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let me just share a few observations um, from this text this morning that uh, John would have us be encouraged by as he's recorded this second sign in Scripture. The first observation I want us to see this morning that it was affliction that led the nobleman to Jesus. It was affliction. 
Now, when you see this word um, nobleman, he was most likely an official that uh, served in Herod's court. Uh, so he had a prominent position there in um, Capernaum. Capernaum was about 15, 17 miles away from Cana. And so here this official was in Capernaum, and he had heard some of the stories of Jesus. And when he heard that Jesus was coming back to Galilee, coming to Cana, he went in desperation to Cana to meet Jesus because his son was at the point of death. Now, had his son not been sick, or if he had just had a little cold, you could count on the fact that he would have had, he would have never made the trip down to Cana. But because of an affliction, because of his son was at the point of death, this nobleman moved heaven and earth to get to Jesus. And it's often, church, that's because of an affliction that we come to Christ. Or we are, be, we are more uh, spiritually conscientious of things in our life. And this man was desperate. It was circumstances beyond his control that led him to Jesus. Are you in circumstances beyond your control right now? You know, it's, instead of throwing a pity party and just being self-focused and try to figure this out on your own, allow this affliction, my friend, to draw you to Jesus. We serve a sovereign God. And what you're going through has not caught God by surprise. And God wants to use it in your life to draw you to him. This man was desperate. The Bible says that he implored. Look at verse 47. When the man heard that Jesus had come to Judea, to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Verse 49. The official said that, Sir, come down before my child dies. This man was desperate. The Bible says that he implored Jesus. He begged Jesus. There was repeated begging because his son was at the point of death. I like what uh, C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Problem of Pain. He said this, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We don't hear God when life's good. 
You know, God, God's whispering to us when life is good. And, and we have a tendency of just thanking Him, but ignoring Him and just trusting ourselves. But my desire attitude change when there is an affliction that we can't do anything about. It's at that point, Christian, that God wants you to trust Him. God is drawing you to Him. And God drew this nobleman to Jesus. That's our first observation. The second is this. See the the see our sympathetic and gracious Savior. Let's look at his graciousness. You know, there is no indication that this nobleman, this official, was a follower of Christ. He's from He's from Capernaum. He's working in Herod's court. He's probably, you know, um, he's definitely a Gentile. And he's not sure who this Jesus is. He's just been told that uh, Jesus heals people. But this man has no interest in following Christ. He just wants his son healed. And when I say gracious, you might think to yourself, well, Boy, Jesus doesn't sound very gracious in verse 48, okay? Because the man made the request. Uh, he asked Jesus to come down and heal his son because he was at the point of death. Verse 48, Jesus says this, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Uh, what's Jesus saying there? Is he just in particular talking to this nobleman? No, the word you there in verse 48 is plural. And he's not just talking to the nobleman, but he's talking to the, 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 um, the audience that's there uh, watching this conversation occur. Because Jesus knows that this is what's in their hearts. This is how Jesus is being received in Galilee. They're not embracing him. They're not welcoming him because he's the savior of the world. He's the Messiah. They don't believe in him like they did in Samaria, the half-Jews. No, they just want Jesus to perform a miracle. And so when Jesus says this in verse 48, he's not just talking to the nobleman. He's talking to, to everyone. And so here Jesus is seeing this nobleman. He's heard his request. He knows what's in the heart of the people. They're just looking for a sign. But Jesus chooses to be gracious. And he says this in verse 49. He says to the official, or verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go, your son, will live. In spite of what you're just looking uh, for from me, Jesus chooses to be gracious. And he says, go, your son will live. 
That's the graciousness of God. This father didn't deserve God's grace. God saw this man's heart. Verse 49, he says, Sir, come down before my child dies. Come with me. He doesn't even believe that Jesus can just speak the word and his, his son will live. No. He thinks that Jesus has to go down with him uh, to touch his son, to heal his son. But Jesus is seeing the desperation of the father. He says, go, your son will live. The graciousness of God. Church, God wants us to be gracious. Not just to people who believe like us. He wants us to be gracious to everyone. You know, I think of vacation Bible school. Vacation Bible school, we have all these kids show up for a week here in this building. And kids that we'll never see on Sunday morning. And a lot of these kids, parents are using Vacation Bible School for free babysitting uh, for the week. And you know what? It It doesn't matter what the family's motive is in sending their children to vacation Bible school. Jesus wants us to be gracious. Jesus wants us to love each and every child, regardless of motives, of why they're here. I think of Harvest Festival, where many of us sacrifice for one evening on October 31st. We're going to have, in just a few months, a lot of people in our parking lot. A lot of people who never shadow the door of a church all year long, let alone this one. Jesus would have us to be gracious to them. Jesus would have us to show and share the love of Christ, regardless of their motive as to why they're on this campus. They're looking for a safe alternative for their children to have a good, safe, fun time. And that's what we try to provide. We share the the good news of of Christ on that uh, Halloween night. We do this Because Jesus is gracious. And Jesus wants us to be gracious to everyone, regardless of their motive. He wants us to be compassionate. And then see the sympathy of Jesus in this passage of Scripture. The Father was desperate. I'm sure that he had had spent every uh, amount of resource that he had at, at his means before coming to Christ. And nothing was working. And he was imploring, he was begging Jesus to come down to heal his son. 
Oh, the sympathy of Christ. Regardless of what was in this man's heart, you know, he was just wanting something from Jesus. Jesus saw his desperation, and he said, Go, your son will live. Now understand this. The man wanted Jesus to come with him. The nobleman thought that was necessary. And Jesus just had to speak the word. But Jesus didn't take advantage of the situation. I mean, this this was an official. This was an officer in Herod's court. I mean, this was a an ideal opportunity for Jesus to go with this nobleman to Capernaum and meet uh, others in higher places, do something that was going to promote himself and be a, 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 a powerful influence among all who were watching. Jesus really could have taken advantage of the situation. But Jesus doesn't go there. Jesus doesn't come for the prominent. He doesn't come for the princes. He didn't come from the, for the princes or the nobles. He came for the publicans and sinners. But Jesus was sympathetic, and Jesus was gracious, and Jesus healed and said, Son, uh, go, your son will live. And Jesus wants us to display those same characteristics ourselves as followers of Christ. Another observation from this text is that Jesus' power has no boundaries. Jesus just spoke, and the boy was healed. In this text this morning, in this passage in the book of John, John is wanting us to see that uh, there's power in the words of Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And the Bible says that he spoke uh, things into creation. Look at John chapter 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything made that was made. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, in the days of creation, the Bible says that God spoke. That is the God incarnate Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word, and by the power of His Word, all things came into existence. And John is wanting us to see from this, John chapter 4, that just as Jesus speaks, your Son is going to live. The power of His Word. There's no boundaries. When it comes to distance, it doesn't matter. Jesus spoke it, and the boy was made well. You know, we're familiar with another passage of Scripture, and it's the the centurion and the servant. 
It's in Matthew chapter 8. Some people think that uh, this story in John chapter 4 is that story in Matthew chapter It's not. It's two different uh, stories. They both came from Capernaum, but in Matthew chapter 8, there was a Roman centurion who had a servant who came to Jesus, who was concerned that and wanted Jesus to heal his servant. And the Roman centurion said, Jesus, you just have to speak the word. I know that you're a man of authority and you have a lot of responsibility. You don't have time to go down. It's not necessary for you to go down there, Jesus. Just speak the word and my servant will be made well. And that miracle occurred in Matthew chapter 8. But that's the power of the Savior that we serve. He just speaks the word. And then the last observation that I want us to see this morning is the nobleman's uh, growing faith uh, in this this story. First, um, we see he, he was a man in crisis. And uh, he came to Christ desperately. And again, that's oftentimes what's necessary for us to be led to the person of Jesus. And so if you're in a crisis right now, let this be used by God to get your attention. God wants you to trust him. And that's what this man did. He, he was in crisis, and he came to Jesus. I like what Philip Yancey says. He says this, For many it takes the jolt of tragedy, illness, or death to create an existential crisis of faith. At such a moment, we want clarity, but God wants our trust. Oftentimes, we're looking for answers. You may not get the answer this side of heaven as to why you're going through the things that you're going through. But in the crisis, God wants you to trust him. And that's what this man did. He came to Jesus hoping that Jesus was going to go back with him to Capernaum. Jesus didn't go back with him to Capernaum. The Bible says that Jesus spoke the word. And in Jesus speaking the word that your son will live, the man went back home. He didn't question Jesus at that point. He just trusted his word. He had confidence in Jesus' word. And that's what John is trying to convey to us in chapter 4. That we need to trust him at his word. We can't, we're we're not to be looking at at his hands as what he can give us or how he can bless us. No, we need to be looking at his face and hearing his voice and trusting what his word says to us. And as this man's faith progressed, his faith was confirmed in John 4, in verse 50. 
Look at verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. God had confirmed this man's faith. At the hour that Jesus said, your son will be made well, Jesus nailed it at that hour. And the Bible says that not only did the father believe, there was a greater trust and understanding in who Jesus was, but his faith was not only confirmed, but his faith became contagious. And he told the servants of what Jesus had said and what Jesus had done. And the Bible says that they all believed. And so as we conclude John chapter 4 this morning, my question to you, uh, Lord's question to all of us this morning is this. Is there something in your life that the Lord is using to deepen your faith in Him? I know some of your stories of what's gone on this week. It hasn't got God by surprise. As difficult as that news is, God is wanting to use it to draw you to Jesus, to deepen your faith in him. The stories that we hear across California right now with all the wildfires and all the loss, all the tragedy, the deaths that have occurred, God is wanting to use it in people's lives to draw them closer to Jesus. Are you depending on him? Let's pray. Jesus, through John chapter 4, you are screaming to us this morning to trust you. And God, we know that most likely this nobleman was at the, at the end of himself. He had exhausted all of his other resources and only had you, Jesus. And for some of us, for many of us here in this room, Father, we have far greater knowledge and experience our relationship with you and God you have been faithful over and over and over again and yet in our humanness 
we so easily forget. And one more time, Jesus, you were saying, trust me. Trust me. Christian, in the quietness of this moment, would you pour out your heart to him? Tell him I believe. Help me in my unbelief. See a Savior who is sympathetic and gracious. And even in his silence, still there for you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. Trust Him. Father, thank You for Your living Word. Your timeless Word is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, I know that you're using this word in people's hearts and lives this morning. Encourage them in their faith. May their faith grow in who you are. Thank you for being a God, a Father who understands you've been through it all yourself. God, we want to worship you and acknowledge that you are good all the time. And all the time you are good. Friend, if you're here this morning, if you need more prayer, we have elders in our dining hall this morning. We'd love to pray with you during this song of worship. Would you all stand with me, please? We're going to sing the song, Good, Good Father. Let's worship Him this morning.